You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Well, if you got your Bible, join me in Romans at the very end. Romans chapter 16 is where we're going to be this morning. We are starting a, um, a new series, a series that we normally do this time of year, right at the beginning of the... Um, Right at the beginning of the school year, as we uh, uh, try to introduce people to our church, we live in a community that has uh, some change that happens uh, every year, and uh, it's both a joy and a grief in the sense of, um, uh, I think as of right now, in attendance, let's see, Jason is the longest standing member of the church, and then Martin, who got here two months before us, is the, their family is the second longest. Um, so we just have, as a church, we, we have a constant state of, uh, of change. And so it's good for us. Um, a number of years ago, we decided that we needed to have a series that we did at the beginning of school year every year uh, just to help us, those that have been here a while and those that are new coming in, answering the question, who are we? Like, what, what is Galena Bible Church? Uh, and what is it that we believe? How are we organized? What does it look like uh, for us to practice discipleship and discipline within our lives? And then you, what is your responsibility in that? And so that's the, uh, the body that we're going to be looking at um, today. Um, when, I, when I'm talking to people outside of Galena... Uh, or folks that are looking at moving into Galena, um, one thing that's a little different for them is that uh, church shopping in Galena is really simple. You kind of got two options, right? If you're not Catholic and you want to go to church, we're it, right? Like if you don't like my preaching, tough. Go download somebody's podcast or something like that. That's your that that's the option, right? Like that's that's the way that it works. And so for me, that's been an incredibly fun thing because what happens in a lot of Christianity is we kind of cloister up into people that are just exactly like us denominationally or style of stylistically of worship or that kind of thing. Uh, and I don't know about you, but when we get to heaven, like we're actually all going to be together, right? Like that's that's what the church is actually going to to look like. And I think there's a, there's some groups that think that they're just they're going to be it. That's all that's that's all going to be there, uh, us three and no more kind of a thing. Uh, and so uh, for us as a church, we've had to kind of wrestle with what does that mean? I mean, we've if you've been around church life for very long, you know that there there are people that are reformed or uh, in a Calvinistic kind of background. Uh, there's people that are uh, Arminian and have this kind of uh, different view of Christianity. And the reality of our church is that we got both right. Uh, we got people that are charismatic in their expression of worship and people that are very stoic in their expression of worship. And I believe that that's a very good thing, but it's pressed us into kind of understanding what are the essentials? What are we about? Who are we as a church? Um, and so that's what this is. The next, over the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at what we believe, how we're organized, what is discipleship and discipline, and then uh, the responsibility that God places upon the heart of a, uh, of a believer as they're a part of a church. Uh, and in conjunction to that, towards the end of that, we're going to have a two-week uh, membership class uh, where we're actually just going to walk through some of the finer details of our statement of faith or the the uh, governing documents of our church it sounds so lame when you call it our constitution and bylaws but that's the way that the u.s government has set up uh, uh, how we have to have things spelled out for um, organizational purposes 
we'll have you do a spiritual gifts inventory, just looking at what is, uh, what is it that God has gifted you uniquely for. It's the reason I love the illustration of the body, uh, is that the Apostle Paul said that not all parts of the body do the same things, and that's good. That's the way that it's supposed to be. Uh, and so it's good for us to know that. And then also just help you understand what is your faith journey look like in testimony? What, is it, what does it mean for you to say, uh, I am a Christian, and because I'm a Christian, I want to be a part of this group of Christians that we call the church? Because uh, contrary to what you may have experienced in any other time of life, the church has never been a building. And the church has never been a Sunday morning event that happens uh, in, uh, you know, one to two hours. When Jesus comes back for his church, he's not coming back for bricks and two by fours. He's coming back for us. And that's a pretty cool thing. Um, here a couple weeks ago, we were in, um, uh, in Denali uh, as a family with a couple other families, some of our ministry supporters, longtime friends that decided independently, they said, hey, we'd like to come do a road system vacation with you. And uh, they didn't know, the two families didn't know each other. And so we said, yeah, we'll come. And we're like, do you guys want to meet each other? And they were like, well, if, if, you, th- if you like us and you like us, then we're pretty sure we'll like each other. And it, it turned out great. It was awesome. We had 15 of us, six adults and nine kids that went all over Alaska uh, for, uh, for about a week and a half. Uh, but at one point in time, we were in Denali, and we got to raft on the Ninana River, which is a, a ton of fun. If you're ever looking for a summer uh, Alaska touristy thing to do, that's a pretty fun thing. And um, uh, me and the dads and the boys all decided we were going to do the adventurous part. The gals did the part where you can take, a, you know, take pictures as you're going down and not fear for your life or the camera. Um, and so we got in the, in the, uh, the raft with the, our, our rafting guide and he was, uh, an older, actually older than I was thinking he would have been for being a rafting guide. And I think that was just the staff shortage that everybody has. Um, and, uh, and he was kind of what I picture a guy that has spent his entire life being a river rafter, right? He, he was kind of hippie-ish, uh, you know, kind of just, uh, seemed like he was a little bit strung out on something, right? Uh, and, uh, and of course, you know, as we're getting into stuff, it's just a, it's a raft full of guys, right? So he immediately starts, uh, talking, you know, dropping F-bombs and it's a little bit of language, you know, a little bit of, um, uh, uh, locker room talk and all that kind of stuff. And we get, I don't know, about 10, 15 minutes into the trip. And he's asking kind of what do people do? And then he gets to me and I say, I say, where do you live? And I say, oh, I live in Galena, Alaska. And he's like, oh, that's the only Alaskan, you know, dad in the boat. And he's like, oh, cool. And then comes the question. <laughs> What do you do for a living? And I've, I've come to realize that uh, that's just my lot in life, that when I answer that question, everything changes, right? <laughs> everything changes, right? All of a sudden, people become nuns in the midst of, in the midst of this conversation, right? And so he did. It, language completely changed, right? There, there are people in our community in Galena that I know cuss all the time, right? And everybody, like, they are known as being individuals that, like, people talk about how much they cuss. And they've never cussed around me, ever. And so, his, you know, the language changed. And all of a sudden, it's, it's you know, he's talking about, you know, his, his spiritual beliefs and kind of, you know, where he lands with Christianity. And he's read some C.S. Lewis and all these kind of things, right? And everything goes in because the nature of belief, uh, you know, and assumptions of, of me comes in. And there's a part of me that I was just kind of going like, dude, just keep being who you actually are, right? Like, don't. Don't modify this because that's not actually truly where you land, what you're, you know, where you're at in this kind of a thing. Uh, his previous actions really did manifest what he truly actually 
believed. And yet when I got injected to it, all of a sudden, the, uh, what we call the plastic church face came out, right? Like, oh, snap, I forgot to put that on, you know? Uh, and everything got cleaned up. What you believe equals who you really are. We can only put up a front for so long. At some point in time, who we tr- what we truly believe manifests into the actions that we do, the attitude that we have, uh, the words that we say, the things that we value, all of that stuff does eventually come out and manifest itself into the real world, into who you actually truly are. Um, we may say that we believe certain things, but how we behave actually shows what we truly believe to the world. And this is, of course, why uh, when the world looks into Christianity and looks at the church and they begin to point out certain aspects of that and the actions of either certain Christians or certain churches or certain denominations don't line up with what the Bible clearly teaches about certain things, that they begin to go, see, you're not really actually practicing what you preach, right? And so this is why uh, we want to emphasize what is it exactly that we believe? Is that even important? I think we're, we're kind of in a day and time um, where we're actually transitioning as a Western culture out of post-modernity. There was a, a season of about 30 to 40 years called postmodern thinking uh, that was basically the idea of, hey, you just believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe, and we'll all be friends, right? And the reality of that was that it didn't work because there were things that we, uh, that we believed and that they believed that were contrary to each other, and we began to... Uh, rub against those. And I don't know actually what the official term for this new movement is, um, but it basically is a mob mentality. It's the idea of, I'm not okay with you thinking differently than me. If I have enough of me that agree with my thing, we will make you believe what it is we have. And it is actually what is true democracy. The majority wins, and it's true democracy is always mob Rule, And that's actually as a culture where Western, uh, the Western world is moving ideologically. And so where do we as Christians fall into that? Uh, are we in that same camp where we're just, we want to be the majority so that we can squish out the, uh, the opposing view? Or what is it the way, or is it, in what way do we engage in this world? Uh, A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, had this line that I think has always been a a profound statement to me. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If we were made in the image of God, what we think about God uh, is what we project into this world. And if we have a flawed view of who God is, we project a flawed image of Him into this world. An image that is corrupted. An image that does not glorify God. That actually defames the character and nature of God. Paul was writing to the church in Rome um, seeking to uh, have them be a part of his ministry as he desired to go to Spain. 
And in his closing thoughts and all the massive uh, information that he gave them in the book of Romans, the last chapter was some greetings and then just a couple of real quick snippets of information. And one of the things that he uh, dealt with that he wanted to encourage them about was the issue of belief that was misplaced and how we get to that place where we have wrong belief and then in turn share false belief. If we think that false news is a new thing, uh, we just haven't read the Bible. Uh, that bad information, wrong belief, um, as it exists within the church, has been around and has been needed to be dealt, dealt with from the very beginning of uh, the church. And Paul wrote in Romans chapter six, uh, 16, um, starting in verse 17, he says this, he says, Now I urge you, brethren... Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the doctrine which you learned and turn away from them. Have nothing to do with them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. This is the word of the Lord. As we said, church shopping is a pretty um, simple thing in Galena. Um, and I think for a, a lot of people, when they do church shopping, um, uh, for many people, the, the idea of what does the church believe isn't actually what they're primarily after. The thing that most people are primarily after when they evaluate a church is, did I like it, right? Did I enjoy it? Did I feel like I got something out of it? Was the music my style? Was it too loud? Was it too reserved? Did, did, uh, did I feel greeted and warm? Was the coffee good? Was the you know, children's thing? Did my kids enjoy it? Right, That, that nature of enjoyment. And obviously, we, we don't want to not pay attention to those things because uh, if, you know, if people get ignored and the, you know, nobody's dealing with the kids and the coffee's bad and all that kind of stuff, it does become a distraction uh, from the, the things that we are about, but that's not the point of church, right? Doctrine matters, and most Americans uh, do church based upon the same principles that they choose restaurants and gyms and other stores. Does it offer what I like? Does the time work for me? And am I inconvenienced in any way? Paul called people that, that with this attitude in this passage, naive. That was, that's the word that Paul uses describing this. That they're, they're, they love the flattery. They, they love the, uh, the smooth speech. Their hearts are deceived because they're just naive. They're, they're innocent. They're unsuspecting. They're just going with the cultural flow that draws their, their spiritual heart this way and that way to what seems right in the moment. Uh, and Paul called this uh, naive, uh, for, uh, and they were, that, they, that these individuals that were naive were ripe for false belief 
and being picked off by false teaching. Um, the, the concept of false teaching uh, was not something that I necessarily had paid much attention to before I moved to rural Alaska, uh, partly because I had been in that world where you were just kind of in your religious bubble. You were with people that were uh, in the same vein as you, and so you never even had to hear about what other people were teaching or what other things were happening, other than the big, you know, the big names and things like that that were on TV, that sometimes you had to be like, well, yeah, what they said, you know, and, and dealing with that kind of stuff. But I think it's important for us as we think about the nature of belief. This morning, I'm not going to be outlining all the, the, the actual uh, like statement of faith for us as Galena Bible Church. I want you to just look at the nature of belief as a Christian yourself. And how do you get to the heart of what do I believe? All last school year, I taught a, a Bible study class uh, that I, um, I don't think I've ever seen a Bible study structured the same way as it. Uh, I had a, a question like, what do I believe about God? What do I believe about salvation? What do I believe about heaven? And before you did the Bible study, there were a series of questions that were you know, not your normal like Sunday school questions, just like the answer to all of them to Jesus. Uh, it, was, it was intended to say, what do you believe about this thing? And you write it out. No information beforehand, no instruction, just cold knee-jerk reaction. Where do you at this moment land on this bit of information. And I think because what happens a lot of times is we just kind of assimilate, even if we don't necessarily believe something, we begin to just kind of weave ourselves into the people that are around us and kind of like, oh yeah, sure, I guess I guess I believe that, rather than just cold saying, what is it that I believe? And then once you had that there, then we went to scripture and evaluated what we believed based upon what the scriptures actually taught. And it was a very uh, self-introspecting dynamic in that. This morning, I want us to look at three things to spot false teaching, three things that Paul says we ought to be aware of, and then also three ways to avoid false belief. The first thing that Paul said was that uh, the first way that he said to spot false teaching was that false teaching causes division. It causes division. It is intently uh, based upon division. He said, I urge you, brethren, to keep your eye on those who cause dissensions, disunity and division. We don't actually know which group Paul had in mind as he was writing this. I mean, you can picture Paul as he's encouraging this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, thinking about the church in Rome that he hasn't met yet. He's sending this letter ahead of himself uh, to meet them, and he wants to encourage them as he's encouraged other churches uh, in this area of dealing with individuals that are coming as false teachers. We know from all of Paul's letters and all of Paul's writings uh, that there were a number of groups that he did have to deal with. He dealt with uh, what we call Judaizers, those that were uh, Jewish by birth, and they were professing Christians, but they, they had not moved into this sense of grace. Uh, it was still a sense of works. It was like, yes, you can be a Jewish Christian, but you're still a Jew, and that's the main thing. And, oh, if you're a Gentile wanting to become a Christian, that's cool, but you also need to do all the Jewish stuff on top of that. And they put this weighty uh, burden upon the lives of new Christians 
that was confusing and it caused significant dissension. We know that he dealt with that a lot. He also dealt with uh, what we would call antinomianists uh, or antinomianism. It was the idea that uh, you know uh, Christianity or the grace of God was like that get out of uh, jail free card that you get in. Um, uh, monopoly, right? That, uh, man, I'm saved. And what that means is because Jesus loves me and his grace is enough and his mercy is wonderful, I can live however I want to live because Jesus has forgiven me. So if I want to sleep around and I want to steal and I want to lie and I want to be a bully and I want to, you know, uh, defame people's character and then come on Sunday morning and just love Jesus and so thankful for the cross and all that kind of stuff, and that's the way that he lived. Uh, that was antinomianism. Paul had to deal with that as well. We also know that Paul had to deal with hyper-charismatic spiritualists, those that were more, uh, more desiring the um, uh, ecstasy kind of um, you know, uh, tingliness of the presence of God, that that's what they were more after and all that came with that kind of hyper-charismatic uh, response to that and not necessarily actually obedience to Christ's command and the holiness that he calls us to and the transformed life and all that kind of stuff. They were more about the experience and less about the walk. We also know uh, that he had to deal with those that were self-centered instead of other-centered and the fact that they were going, um, you know, yeah, I'm going to live however I want to live and if you don't agree with it, then, you know, tough on you rather than seeing them as a weaker brother and coming underneath them and encouraging them. All of these we know that Paul had to deal with and so we don't know if he had one of those in mind or all of them in mind, but every single one of them caused uh, division within the church. And all of these have something that is um, very uh, similar in its nature and in the, the way in which it plays out. A lot of churches, uh, I would say the vast majority of churches, tend to be one of two ways. They kind of fall into one of two camps. Uh, if you imagine that my left hand is what we believe and my right hand is what we do, there are churches that look like this, two closed fists. This is what we believe, and by golly, this is right, and this is true, and this is the, and this is the way that it's done. This is the whole way it's always been done, right? And this is how we live, and they just live like this, right? Second, you have churches that exist like this. It's kind of like, well, you know, whatever you believe, and for you is good, and that's nice and wonderful, and however you want to express your Christian life, that's, you know, that's, that's up to you, and it's all those kind of things. And they live like that, right? There's, there's not really much of a grounding on it. And if you've bounced around in church life, if you've ever experienced this kind of church, it's one of those you walk away from, you're like, they just seem angry, right? They're just kind of just like, I don't know about this, right? And then the other one, you walk away and you're like, was that even Christian? You know, what, what, what exactly was that? I believe what Paul is emphasizing here is this picture of this, that there are some things that are non-negotiable, that are what we call closed-fisted issues. And here's the thing, church. We don't believe there's a lot of those. It's not a lot. And all of those ones that were causing division, what they were doing is they were taking things off of what we do, pulling those off, and putting them into essentials of what we believe, right? 
So you have to be circumcised. You have to observe the Saturday Sabbath. You can't eat shellfish. Those kind of things uh, as it related to Christianity. Or, or those that were saying, you know what, however you live doesn't matter. And so they were actually pulling out of the belief side those things of saying Christ calls us to be sanctified, holy in Him, transformed by the gospel, that we are acknowledging as Christians that my sin separates me from God. It's not just me being naughty. It's me spitting in the face of my creator, my, the one whose image I'm called to bear. Those that were charismatic were more about the experience and they were ultimately saying, listen, if you don't have the same kind of tingly experience that we have, then you're not really a Christian. That's actually a requirement to have that. We still have that in churches today. And then the self-centered attitude as well. We strive to be a kind of church that says, you know what? The, the form of church changes all over the world, right? I remember hearing early on in, uh, uh, in, in my, my own Christian life uh, when I was a kid, I was in a, a denomination that uh, has since loosened up. But when I was a kid, it was not very loose. It was, it was pretty, pretty set in the way that they did things. And I heard stories, literally no joke, of missionaries that were doing work in Africa uh, that were like mud hut kind of Africa, right? That they built a church building and then they had suit coats, ties, and shirts in the foyer. So these guys that literally were wearing loincloths would walk up to put on the suit, put on the tie, and go into church because that was the picture of church. And of course, now as a pastor, I'm just going like, you've got to be kidding me. This is insanity. That's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't involve a tie, right? There's nothing about it. Paul says, watch out for those that their intent is to cause division. That the essentials of the gospel, the essentials of who is Jesus, who is God, how has he saved us? Those are, those are if we take those things out, we're no longer talking about Christianity. It's completely changed and it's off the table. Secondly, he says that they caused, they created obstacles contrary to sound doctrine. They created obstacles that were contrary to sound doctrine. Christian belief is biblical belief. That's, that's what it means. We live in a day, again, where the, the challenge that we face in language, that the word Christian is now on everything, right? There's Christian bookstores and Christian movies and T-shirts and bumper stickers and all of those kind of things. And then Christian gets put on all kind of stuff that has nothing to do with the gospel, has nothing to do with the transformation of Jesus Christ, has nothing to do with God's intent for missions in the world. And so we get really confused on things. And so when people say, I'm a Christian, they're, they're saying, you should understand what I believe. And I would push back of saying, if you're saying you're a Christian, then what you are saying is that I have biblically based belief. Christian belief is about the Bible, not about what I feel. And this is the challenge that we have as, as Christians. We may not like this. The Bible confronts our heart. If, you have not, if, if you've never opened up the Bible and read Scripture and had it confront you, I don't think you're actually believing what it says. Because the Bible is confrontational because it speaks against my own sin nature, my, bent, or my bend away from the things of God. False teaching is dangerous 
Not always because it tells you not to believe the Bible, but it makes it difficult to believe what the Bible actually says. See, false teachers aren't people that are outside of the church saying, don't be a Christian. False teachers are those that the Bible describes are inside the camp. They are the wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, and they're ones that are uh, teaching you uh, things that are contrary to Scripture or make it harder to actually obey the plain teaching of Scripture, i.e. what what, uh, Paul calls sound doctrine. Just recently, uh, within the last couple of weeks, the state of Texas has been dealing with a, um, uh, a bit of legislation around the nature of elections, right? Whether or not they were going to require a voter ID card to vote in those elections. And again, uh, wherever you land on that, um, great and wonderful, that doesn't actually have anything to do with the gospel and doesn't actually have anything to do with Christianity as it lands on that. But what happened in that Uh, in one of the sessions as they were talking about that, does uh, show a reflection into the nature of Christianity. Uh, In that, uh, in one of those sessions where they were discussing that, there was a senator from Texas who spoke on behalf of the Committee on State Affairs related to their voting restrictions bill. And in that, when she concluded her spiel on it, she said, uh, you know, I believe that this is a, an issue uh, that is related to God. And she said, and you can watch the video on this. Uh, she said, there's a, there's a passage of scripture uh, that's, that I think speaks to this that I didn't know about and I think would be an encouragement for us today as we think about this issue that we are wrestling with. And uh, she quoted from 2 Peter uh, chapter 10. Or sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, and this is what it says. Tell me if you hear anything wrong in this. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about uh, his calling and his election of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never fall. The Apostle Peter did not have a voting booth in mind when he was talking about the election of our holy God, of us. That from eternity past, God saw you. And in his heart, mind, being, set forth that you would be redeemed in Jesus. And we subjugate the scriptures for who gets to vote in a U.S. election or not. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. And it's a problem that is permeating within biblical literacy within Western Christianity. This proof text that God is very concerned about our voting process shows us that we can take Scripture and make it say whatever we want it to say. And in so doing, make it harder for people to walk in obedience to what Jesus calls us to. I call it inoculating people to the gospel. We can actually teach the Bible in such a way that it makes it harder for people to believe it. And not want to believe it. Some of this can be described as sloppy Christianity. Where we just kind of 
Yeah, whatever you feel like. You know, if you step into the Bible study and you say, what does this mean to you? There were two words that were unnecessary in that, that statement when we step into Bible study. Those words were to you. When we step into scripture, study of scripture, we ask, what does it mean? What does it mean? God has spoken to his people. And we want to get at the heart of that. But there's a more sinister agent working against the church than just general sloppy Christianity. In verse 18, he described it as smooth-talking deceivers. Intently, purposely trying to lead people away from the truth of God. In verse 18, this is what he said in verse 18 at the end of it. Uh, he said, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the naive. False belief is something that we've all had in our Christian life. I mean, the day you came to know Jesus, you did not know everything. And you found that out in every subsequent Bible study that you attended, every sermon that you listened to. And you're just like, eh, oh, eh, oh, right? And it's just this, this continual growth. So false belief is a part of our Christian journey where we all of a sudden be, uh, understand that what I believed was wrong and I turned to Jesus. This is, in fact, what it means for us to walk in faith, that faith is a coin with two sides. It's belief and repentance. You never have faith without those two sides of that coin. And it is faith that saves us, and it's faith that keeps us saved. As we walk with Him, God reveals more of His truth to us. We believe it, and we repent, meaning we stop believing what we were believing, or we stop doing what we were doing, and we act in accordance with that belief that we now have. That's the, that's the faith journey. So false belief, in the sense, is not the, oh, shame on you for having this. This is a part of all of our lives, Jesus treats false belief in, uh, in the narratives that we have of Jesus with patience and grace, right? This is, this is Jesus looking at his disciples who've been walking with him for years and going, are you still so of little faith? Or I love those ones where he goes, do you still not understand? Like, I, could, I mean, just those are those moments where I'm just sitting there going like, man, alive, Jesus. How did you keep doing it, right? I don't think Jesus ever formally in Scripture called his guys knuckleheads, but that was probably, I mean, it's kind of insinuated in that, in that, right? But make no mistake, Jesus treats false belief differently than he treats false teaching. False belief, he's kind, patient, gracious, long-suffering, sees them as sheep without a shepherd. False teachers, he tells them, your dad's Satan, you're a tomb filled with rot. You're a den of vipers. Jesus is not nice to false teachers. It wasn't until about eight years ago uh, that I saw how Jesus handled false teachers because I actually, it was the first time I had to personally deal with one. We had an individual that came into Galena under the guise of Christianity trying to help uh, with an event that we had going on. Uh, he was actually an individual who was very well-renowned. He was a, an official Harlem Globetrotter. I mean, who doesn't want to have a Harlem Globetrotter come out to a village that idolizes basketball and try to get kids to go to it? Well, duh, of course, that's going to be awesome, right? Everybody's going to want to do that. So, yeah, have him come out. 
And all of a sudden, after he leaves, we have some individuals that start coming to me and saying, well, Chris, do we, do we have to be baptized to go to heaven? Well, if, if I haven't ever spoken in tongues, can I, am, I, am, I really, am I really saved? If, if I wasn't baptized with uh, the person baptizing me using the, the exact phrase, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if that phrase wasn't, am I actually truly saved? And I'm sitting here going, what in the world? Where did this come from? And as we began today, we found out that Harlem Globetrotters actually was known as a oneness Pentecostal pastor. An individual that denies the Trinity. They don't believe, they believe it was called modalism, that there was God the Father who ceased to be God the Father and became the Son and then ceased to be the Son and now resides as the Holy Spirit and the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all of these kind of things will have been, and they just began to do division and the people that they were going after were exactly what you would define as naive. Simple. They were just like, well, we're just talking. And this just seems interesting. It was the first time that I actually had to sit down with him and he wanted to have theological arguments with me on that in a gentle, soft... He was trying to smooth talk me thinking that I'm a naive guy and I'm going, listen, man, I don't have anything to say with you about that because right now, if you died in this moment, you would face a God who would give you all of his wrath for all eternity because you hate him. The Apostle John said that the spirit of Antichrist, what is the definition of the spirit of Antichrist? He who denies the Father and the Son. I was like, dude, you are actually the a literal heretic. You are the definition of what he says is the spirit of Antichrist. If you think that the spirit of Antichrist that is residing in you right now is going to lead you to heaven, you are deadly wrong. So no, I'm not going to argue with you the finer points of baptism and whether or not it leads to salvation. That's not the point. And I was blown away because I've never had to deal with that before. Why? Because everywhere else, that guy has his own platform and his own church. People that want to listen to that, they just get into that, right? And everybody kind of is cloistered off. So how do we avoid this? How do we stay away from it? How do we make sure that I am avoiding, me personally, how am I avoiding false belief? The first thing that Paul said is be taught sound doctrine or biblical doctrine. This is what he says in verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eyes on those who cause dissensions uh, that teach um, uh, hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. He's saying you need to learn it. This is the desire of every Christian that once we come to the saving knowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and the basic understanding of the gospel, then everything else is us saying, God, teach me more, right? Teach me more. Shell and I celebrated our 20th anniversary and we loved each other dearly the day that we got married. And I'm here telling you 20 years later, I didn't even know who she was. Took 20 years to get to the place where I can look at Shell and go, I, I actually, this, is, this is actually the woman that I love, right? And many Christians treat their Christian walk as though they, at their day of their marriage, they said, I do, and they never saw each other again. And they're like, yeah, I love Jesus. And it's the Jesus from that moment and nothing else. 
be taught sound doctrine, live in this. The, the word orthodoxy uh, is this, this idea that uh, you're not alone in your Christian life. And there's nothing new that's come into Christianity. It's the body of Christ as we've walked through the last 2,000 years together as a church dealing with these issues. And if somebody steps up and says, I've found something new, nobody's ever found this before. Two things I can say. One, yes, they have. And two, it's called heresy. That's, what, that's actually what, what we, can, we can point to in these things. We ask the question, where does the Bible teach this? And how has the universal church interpreted this and understood this? And it is your job to grow in it. Because doctrine, as, uh, as doctrine sounds, is basically saying this is what God has said is true about Himself, about His Son, about the Holy Spirit, about our interaction with Him, about the nature of us as a church, about the nature of leadership, about our purpose into this world to share this message of Jesus Christ to a world that doesn't know Him, doesn't love Him, uh, could care less about Him. So we need to be taught Biblical doctrine, the question that I uh, ask people when they leave here and they're saying, how do I know, how do I find a good church? And I said, if you go visit the church and they have a church service and nobody ever references scripture, that's a big old flag for me. Because that's just saying that whoever's getting up there is saying, this is my idea about the world and I, I don't need your idea about the world, right? So be taught sound do biblical doctrine. Burden in your heart to say, I want to know. I want to know more. Secondly, avoid false teachers. Avoid false teachers. Who you read and who you listen to shapes what you believe. If, uh, you know, you've got somebody that's um, teaching this kind of stuff that is, you start asking the question, is this, you know, are they, at, is, is what they're teaching Jesus and, Right? Jesus and baptism, Jesus and speaking in tongues, Jesus and holy living. And those things, the and, uh, they're saying, you know, you have to have this and for Jesus to be enough. And I start going, I, I don't think so. Because what happens is that and becomes more than Jesus in that, that worldview. So you can look at that and avoid that. Don't put your heart into it. Don't listen to it. Don't ground yourself into it. We know this is true as we look at things like social media and uh, made-for-you news helps us understand this, right? When people are like, I don't understand why people don't, under don't see this. And you ask, well, what, what information are you getting? And they're getting it from this like echo chamber that everybody's saying, everybody agrees with me, everybody does what they're doing. My challenge to people when you think about your social media accounts in any kind of capacity is going, if you're going to have a rant about somebody on the other side, do two things. One... I want you to picture somebody that's on your friend list or your follow list or whatever that is on that side. Picture them. And then ask yourself the question, as I'm posting this, does what I'm saying right now demean or defame them in any way? And one, if you can't think of anybody on the other side, you're literally preaching to the choir, you're in an echo chamber. And two, if what you're saying does def de uh, defame them, does demean them, don't post it. We are not called as Christians to mock those to whom we were called to share the hope of Jesus with. It's not what we're about. It's not what we're about.
So avoid false teachers. And third, biblical belief always leads to biblical obedience. Biblical belief always leads to biblical obedience. This is how we actually avoid false belief. When you believe what the scriptures teach, it causes us to live differently. That's actually what the word repent means. It doesn't just mean stop doing something. It means we change what we were doing. We substitute, I was doing this, now I'm doing this. And so as I believe what scripture tells me, then it changes the trajectory of my life. A fundamental belief uh, in the gospel leads every Christian into faithful obedience. This is what he says uh, as he's warning them against false teachers. And he he talks about those that uh, deceive the naive. He says, but in verse 19, for the report of your obedience has reached to all. He's telling this church, he says, I don't think you guys are naive. I don't think you guys are believing because I've heard of the obedience that you have as you're walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, what we would call the Great Commission, does not say, teach them all things I've commanded. Right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all things I've commanded you. That's not what it says. Anybody know what I missed in that? Teach them to obey all things I've commanded you. The Christian life is not a game of trivial pursuits. We don't get to stand before Jesus and he says, tell you what, I'll let you into heaven if you can name the 12 tribes of Israel in alphabetical order, go. Right? But we treat discipleship, we treat church as though that's the goal. Just get people more information. We don't want more information. We want more transformation. We want to see obedience as an outpouring of the information that we have. Teach them to obey. Spiritual maturity is not how much you know, it's how much you obey of what you know. If you've been a Christian for 60 or 70 years, and you can you know, uh, lay out the, the missionary path of, Peter, of uh, Paul, and uh, you can quote large sections of 1 Peter, and uh, you know, you, you've memorized the Beatitudes and all of these kind of things, and yet you don't love your neighbor as yourself, you are less spiritually mature than the person who yesterday came to faith in Jesus. They were a heroin addict. In that moment, they said, I know that by the blood of Jesus, I need to give up this idol. And so I'm fighting to do that today. And they say all of that expletive laden because that's not where they're at yet. That person is more spiritually mature than the one that's not doing what they already know. And so our call as Christians... If we're to avoid false belief is to ask the question, does what I believe translate into greater obedience to Jesus? Does what I believe cause me to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength better, stronger, more faithfully, more diligently? And does it help me love my neighbor as myself? We don't want you to be members of our church so that we're bigger. We're not worried about that. We want you to be growing in your love for Jesus and following Him and His plan for your life. Because God does have a plan for your life. How do I know that? Because He sent His Son to die on a cross for you. 
knowing all the ways that you and I would screw up. He did that because God has a plan for your life. And we desire for, to be in that journey with you. We want to be locked together with you in that. You know, most of the time when you read the word you in the New Testament, it's not you. It's y'all. They're plural you. Southerners were the only ones that figured out a word for that. Is, is northerner yous? Yous guys, yous guys. Right, y'all. You can't do the use without others. We're called to do this together. We live in the most individualistic country with the most individualistic culture in the history of the human race. And into this, we're preaching this message that says we're called to do this together. Jesus saved you for y'all so that y'all can glorify God in every corner of the earth, which includes a school campus, a police department, a city office, a clinic, a neighbor's house, a fishing boat. We're called to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we touch. Because we have to? No. Because we've believed it. <coughs> I've believed it. And because I've believed it, I want you to know it. I so desperately want you to know it. Let's pray. God, thank you again so much for the, the truth of this. That what we believe matters. And Lord, there are a few key things that do unite us together. We may have differences of opinion about secondary things. And Lord, in those things, we come graciously to each other. But to the rest of the world, Lord, let us lift up those things about the gospel of Jesus Christ, our sinfulness and your goodness. What it is that you accomplished for us on that cross? Let that be the thing that we as a church lift up to this community and to this region, this state, and this world, so that people would know the goodness of our God. Not for our glory, Lord, but for yours. We love you and we thank you for that mercy that meets us right where we are today. We love you. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.